0: Let's just kind of talk a little bit, warm up. Hey. Kind of. I missed this. I know, I missed you guys. (laughs) I know, I'm excited. Um, Take a sip of water. Take a sip. Uh, Yeah, I recently just knocked over a ton of water all over Katie's room. We're recording in Katie's room today. We usually, we're usually in the living room, but we felt like we needed to do a mini episode because cool things are happening in the world. Scary, but cool things.
1: Yeah, and, you know, we just wanted to update you guys why we have been on a little mini, mini hiatus. Because, well, we've been busy with life. And Matt has some exciting updates. Bye, ah, no!
0: Yeah, we're saying hi from the ATIS. Hi ATIS. Yeah. Um, okay, my exciting news is I got a cool job. Yay. Yay. I don't work at Trader Joe's anymore. Um, much to my glee. Um, but I don't wanna say any specifics about the job because I'd like to keep the things I say on this podcast separate from what my job will be. But suffice to say, big things are happening. Yeah.
1: So basically Matt's been looking for a job. And not only did he find one, but he found one that is, like, absolutely perfect for him. That it's going to be inspiring, and it's going to be, like, a positive force in the world. Yay. And it's just, it's incredible. He's perfect for it. It yeah. is incredible news.
0: If you don't, like, know me and you want to know, just tweet at me and I'll tell you. And I'm smiling so big right now, I look like Jigglypuff.
1: Yay! Yay!
0: All right, now we can talk so you all fall asleep and I can write on your faces with a marker like Jigglypuff.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: what else happened, Katie? What's happening?
1: Well, uh, so yesterday I was down in D.C. for the Women's March and it was absolutely incredible. Um, so I went with a friend. Uh, his aunt organized this group that was taking a bus down from D.C. So Friday at like 1 a.m., We left uh, New York on this bus, and we drove all night, and I only slept like an hour because I was too excited. And then we got there, it was like 7 a.m. We walked down to the mall. I got a space like pretty close to the stage for the rally. And there was just like this incredible feeling in the air. Like I just knew that this was gonna be just so positive and impactful and peaceful and just like, this overwhelming feeling, like, okay, this is it. This is the beginning of the resistance, the rebellion. But I also, I never felt like people kept texting me, being like, be safe or whatever. And I, but I never once felt unsafe. Like, I never, I never felt like anything was going to go wrong. And it didn't. I mean, it was totally peaceful. Also, so where we were, it was like kind of between two buildings. So you couldn't really see, like, I knew there were a lot of people around us, but I couldn't really see, like, how far it went and also um the um because of all the people there there was uh not a lot of cell phone service basically none so I had no way of like looking up like pictures or what was going on so it wasn't until after the rally when we moved away from the stage Mm -hmm. that we were like okay this is this is amazing just the amount of people They predicted that there would be about, like, 200,000 to 500,000 people there. There were, reports now are saying there were about 1.2 million people in D.C. yesterday for the Women's March. It was incredible. And so many women. And then, you know, families and men and all colors and all religions and all ages. It was amazing. It was such a great day. Everyone was being so kind and happy and... It it was amazing.
0: I know this is a, like, kind of a comedy podcast, but I just want to say, like, I feel so, like, hopeful right now. Yeah. In this moment, and I think that our democracy, a lot of people have kind of declared it dead, but the fact that that many people came out and peacefully protested just shows how vibrant it is and alive and awake and...
1: Right. Well, I was just, so I was just, like, getting caught up on SNL and Aziz Ansari said in his kind of stand-up, opening monologue that you know change happens when there are large groups of angry people and Mm -hmm. this was like the largest protest on a single day in history when you include everybody who was in washington and then all over the country in the world like we're just it, it was just like yes there's a gonna there's a lot of work to do and there's a lot of work to is going to continue to need to be done but the fact that everybody came out in solidarity with, like, a unifying message of love and hope was just... It just felt so good to me. And... uh, uh,
0: That's so cool.
1: Yeah. And Um, there were a lot of incredible, incredible keynote speakers. Uh, One of them was Michael Moore, who gave everybody this phone number that I just want to quickly share. Um, So this is a number that you can call, and it's, like, a directory. So it'll tell you you can tell them where you live and then you can find out all of your local representatives so that way you can really easily call them and express any concerns that you have and it's really easy and if we all just do this once a day um, you know, that because the thing is okay like we've all we've all rallied in solidarity now the next step is to just stick at it every single day mm-hmm. so not only like volunteering and becoming active in organizations you care about but calling your representatives because like the thing i keep coming back to is they work for us
0: yeah and if totally. we
1: stay angry and stay vocal and active they can't ignore us and they have amazing health care yeah on our dime just want to say that too so the number you can call is 202-225-3121 and we'll post this on our social media as well. But I just wanted to share that because I'm gonna be calling, and you know, the more, the more people we get, the better. Woo! Um, so yeah, so one of the um, incredible speakers yesterday was the one and only.
0: That Gloria
1: was... Steinem
0: that tried to be a yes. drum roll, but it just sounded like.
1: So because, because, you know, uh, we've been so crazy busy with the job search and everything going on, um, our next full episode is going to be coming out later this week, but we were feeling really inspired by this weekend that we wanted to give you guys this mini-sode about the one and only Gloria Steinem, because she's freaking incredible and she deserves her own episode.
0: Yeah. And what she's, like her, her message yesterday was really, really inspiring, but we will touch on all of that. Um. Katie, why don't you take it away with yes. Lil Baby G.S.?
1: Lil Baby G.S. Okay, let me pull up my notes here. One sec. Um, yeah, so Gloria Steinem, she was born in uh, Toledo, Ohio, March 25th, 1934, making her an Aries, I believe. Oh. Um, yeah, so her father was Jewish, and... Um, Her mother, her grandmother, her paternal grandmother, Pauline Perlmuttersteinem, I want to talk about her because she was a really, really cool woman and just kind of shows this legacy of women that Gloria was coming from. So her grandmother was born uh, in Poland, ended up moving to Germany, where she got her education, became a teacher, and then married Gloria's grandfather, and then the two of them moved to the U.S. as newlyweds. Uh, they were So they were in Toledo, Ohio. And uh, once in America, Pauline became an active feminist and women's rights activist. Yeah, in addition to being a teacher.
0: That was quite a time to be an activist. Yeah.
1: So she was like, oh, gee. She served on as a chairwoman of the Educational Committee for the National Woman Suffrage Movement. Uh, she was a delegate to the 1908 International Council of Women. And she was the first woman elected to office in Toledo, Ohio, when she was elected to the Toledo Board of Education. That's so cool. And then in addition to all of this, she was also a leader in the movement for vocational education. And in the early uprising of Nazi terror, she was able to rescue several of her family members from Nazi Germany.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah,
1: so she was a badass lady. Oh, my gosh. Yeah.
0: Little baby GS has yeah. a lot of activism in her bloods. Oh, yeah. Bloods. <laughs>
1: her yeah. blood. She, baby, she was born this way. She was. Yeah. Um, and so, and interestingly enough, despite the fact that it was her father who was Jewish, it was actually uh, Gloria's mother, Ruth, uh, who made sure that she and her sister understood and were proud of their Jewish heritage and um, the pervading evils of anti-Semitism and the horrors of the Holocaust. Uh, So, because Ruth herself, she graduated uh, from college in Toledo and was a working journalist, um, although at the time when she was working as a journalist, she had to publish under a male name.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: uh, but when she was 34, she actually suffered a nervous breakdown. um, And this was caused by, you know, she was having this ongoing conflict between balancing her work life as a journalist and being a mother. uh, And there were other strains going on. So she had this nervous breakdown. And then uh, from that time onward, she was... In and out of mental institutions, just frequently was suffering bouts of depression and breaks from reality that would kind of plague her for the rest of her life.
0: I think that, um, like, I know that I've had a lot of anxiety thinking about all the crazy things happening in the world. Yeah. I think with the, the job of a journalist being to mm-hmm. explore the ugly truths and, like, horrible things and, like, things you don't want to believe are real, it can also lead to you believing things that really aren't real could right. be.
1: And I think especially the pressure of, you know, this ongoing guilt of that women today still deal with, you know, this guilt of of wanting a career, but then also feeling like you're not doing enough to be a good mother. And even if you are like, it, it's just something that society has so ingrained in us. And mm-hmm. I imagine at that time period, you know, in the 30s, it could it must have been even more so, you know, people weren't even like, oh, yeah, no, you can have it all. They weren't saying that. They no. were like, no, you have to be a mother. You no. shouldn't have yeah. a job. So that guilt, I can't even imagine.
0: Like the term crone, like such an old word, but like describing an older woman who didn't have children and was just like not married yeah. and like.
1: So she like was, she was trying to have it all right. at a time when that was not even a concept yet. And it, it so I just can't even imagine yeah. just the prejudice and pressure and. Yeah. So not I mean understandably so she it really took a toll on her mental health and unfortunately it it had lasting lasting effects on her.
0: Um but I think that that also makes you like an empathetic person like witnessing oh as a child like Of course. He's...
1: Well, she says she says so basically, you know, Gloria was a witness to the way that doctors would mistreat her mother. They didn't take her seriously or just this this kind of anti woman sentiment that even the doctors who were charged with taking laughing at her. her. Yeah. Or just like didn't take it seriously or were like, oh, this is just like you're being like a crazy woman and just how women were mistreated. And then of course like I mean, you know, mental health institutions back then. It's only just now becoming a um you know, a topic that people are taking more seriously as a disease. So imagine back then. In addition to the fact that she's a woman, and just the way that women's mental health has always been talked about or addressed. I mean, that poor. If you want to talk about gaslighting, I'm sure that poor woman went through a lot. Yeah. Oh. jeez. Um, but I do want to be clear that she never, you know, blamed her father for any of this. Um, you know, he. She didn't say that he was chauvinistic in any way. But she, you know, just the way that society treated and dealt with her mother and her illness. I mean, because her mom just, you know, no one understood her illness, and because she was a woman, she just couldn't get work. So basically, in early childhood, uh, when her parents were still together, her father was moving their family around a lot uh, with his career as a traveling antique salesman. So she never actually had a full year in school until she was about 12 years old. Um, and then in the summers... He ran this lakeside beach resort in Michigan, and that's where she actually learned to tap dance oh. um, from the club performers there.
0: A skill that would take her f- much farther later on. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> where uh, is that a
0: renowned tap dancer?
1: Yes. <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah, so it was about the time she was like 10 or 11, um, mid-40s. Her parents did split up. And so, at you know, she's like 11, and Gloria kind of becomes the cook and one of the breadwinners and the caretaker of her mother. So from a really early age, she had this intense responsibility. Um, and in her late t- her early teens, she would work as a tap dancer in nightclubs for $10 a night. And then later teens, she got a job as a sales girl on nights and weekends. Dang. Yeah. So she was working a lot. And
0: jobs that also required a bit of femininity and, Mm -hmm. um, probably felt like being on display.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So she just, she got a, she got a a lesson in, in growing up from a young age. Yeah. And, uh, so actually in 1951, her last year of high school, uh, her sister, her older sister, Suzanne, persuaded their father, despite the divorce, to take over Ruth's uh, care for a year so that Gloria could get away and live with her sister in Washington, D.C. So mm-hmm. that's why she ended up graduating from high school uh, in D.C., um, which I think was really important for her not only to kind of get away and have a year to just be like a normal teenager, but also I'm sure being exposed to our nation's capital probably yeah. piqued her interest her you know her already growing interest in activism and
0: what a cool politics. thing yeah that her sister pers- like got their dad to do that like post divorce yeah. like I-, I don't know i i've had a couple of people in my life where like that's kind of a relationship that like divorced people have where like there's an acknowledgement of like the love that's still there right. in some way like a selfless act
1: i also can imagine like the guilt like you know it's the least he can do like he knew that he knew the state that their mother was in when he left them he knew that the mom wasn't capable of financially helping out and that it, the burden would fall on his daughters and that's and a, a so, sacrifice
0: for his daughter like for gloria
1: yeah so it's like the least he could do
0: <laughs> so suzanne is now a litigator because yeah. <laughs> she's so persuasive yeah. I, don't, I don't know what she does but i would like to know that's cool yeah nice um yeah so i can take the reins the freedom reins. Yes. um so yeah, after that happens, she does graduate in nineteen fifty two from Western High School in Washington D.C., which is, I like this. Um, my grandpa graduated around this time from
1: oh cool from
0: um, high school, and he was born in Baltimore and lived there. And ah. they he graduated from I think East High School, and I guess that's kind of like back in the day when like people. Yeah, like a lot of urban high schools are right. named after like the direction of where they are in the city, right which is like I went to like middleton you know like we all kind of went to like named places. I don't know it's something I think is interesting um when she was twenty two she graduated from Smith College and she's still very involved in Smith college um she gave a speech there last year um yeah. and she donates money
1: she made and she majored in government while she was there
0: oh yeah, yeah yeah. Um, she was in an honor society called Phi Beta Kappa. She graduated magna cum laude. And then I think this is actually, like, bamo. She won a fellowship to study in India for mm-hmm. two years. Um, and she lived in India. Um, and she said that this time was, like, very influential to her. Uh, it was the first time that she realized that the way we live in America is not the way that all people live. Um, like, a lot of people have way less. Yeah. And, like, she says now about that time, um, America is an enormous frosted cupcake in the middle of millions of starving people. Yeah. Like, we have so much wow. that's, like, unnecessary and, you know, surplus, abundance, compared to the way it is even now in, like, parts of India.
1: Right. She And I read something interesting that this was also where she studied Gandhian principles, mm-hmm. and the the way that you can connect those to grassroots campaigns especially the women's movement
0: yeah yeah and like the civil rights movement yeah and like all of them have a lot of like the peaceful protests and um yeah like influences from gandhi i know martin luther king was really influenced by gandhi oh yeah
1: gandhi was like OG civil disobedience Wasn't
0: he, I've heard things that he was kind of like <clears throat> misogynistic himself
1: Yeah but that the same could be said about sorry but is the wrong word yeah. We know I'm not at all You got to
0: take the good with the bad
1: Right Martin Luther King there's also some you know,
0: some shady stuff some going Some shady on.
1: business but
0: well there's don't worry cuz Gloria Steinem's got some shady business too so I'm going to get to that
1: Yeah Nobody's perfect Nobody's we we're always perfect. working on being better to quote, Smarter, faster, better, stronger.
0: Right. like It's like Hannah Montana, the great American feminist, mm-hmm. who Nobody's felt that she perfect. herself had to live a double life. She was struggling.
1: Yeah. She was like, I have to, my, my career self and my true self. Yeah. But I got to work it again and again until I get it right. Yeah.
0: And, um, you know, then you get the best of both worlds. Yeah. So, um, Gloria Steinem certainly had two worlds that she got the best of both of.
1: Uh,
0: um, she... When she was in India, um, she I, I mentioned that she was there through a grant. Um, it was revealed by investigative journalists a little later on um, that some of the, like... God, this is so, like, tangled up as much of the shady espionage history of the late 1950s and early 1960s is. But she was um, partially financed by the CIA um, and uh, was involved in this organization... Um, called the Independent Research Center or Service, that had CIA like funding through like a middleman, like group, and then like later on, investi- investigative journalists find out that it's like the CIA, um, and she was helping send um, students to these uh, festivals that were happening in Europe. Um,
1: oh, the communist youth festivals. Yeah. And then they would send, like, non-communist students to go be like, hey, guys.
0: Yeah, like, hey, this is wrong. Which, if Do you, you have
1: a second to talk about capitalism?
0: <laughs> Do you have a second to talk about Greenpeace? <laughs> <laughs> have you heard of HelloFresh?
1: <laughs> if I could just have 25 minutes of your time. <laughs> oh, my
0: God. Um, we all know those people. But, not, like, even at the Women's March yesterday, there were I knew that there were people that were, like, Trump sympathizers that were pretending to be protesters that were, like... Or, like, they were pretending to be part of the march, and they were trying to implicate people in violence and things like that. Like, there were a lot of, like, watchdogs circulating, like, mugshots of people that you could... I don't know.
1: Oh. This is an
0: old tactic. Um, I didn't
1: encounter any of that yesterday. Yeah, I know
0: you... Like, I know that it probably wasn't, like, an actual thing, but it was something that, like, Mark Ruffalo retweeted, like, a image of it, of, like, these guys that, like, go around to different protests and try to get people to act up so that everybody can say they're bad. But anyway... Yeah, I don't know. I think that that's something that reminded me of Julia Child, which would be a great future episode.
1: Ooh, yes! Jot um, that down.
0: Julia Child uh, was herself involved in a little bit of espionage uh, and worked for the OSS, which was a precursor to the CIA following World War II. The OSS is also the name of the fake spy organization in the popular film Spy Kids. Oh ah. So I don't know what the connection is there, but it's kind of fun.
1: So, I wonder if Gloria Steinem ever, like, used one of those thumb hand, do you know what I'm talking about? A thumb thumb? The thumb thumbs, as, like, a bodyguard or, like, an escort.
0: I think that that's the connection we should make and spread to our listeners, that if there's one thing you want to take away... Hashtag fake
1: news is really trending right now, so I've got some hashtag real news to report. Gloria Steinem uh, revealed history of employing thumb thumb for... (laughs) For a personal game. Thumb... Th-
0: I liked how you used the plural of thumb thumbs as just thumb thumb.
1: <laughs> she only... No, it was singular because she only used one. Okay. As her, like, personal bodyguard.
0: Oh, I love that movie. That's such a funny movie. I would...
1: I wish I was good at Photoshop and then I would Photoshop a thumb thumb standing over Ooh. Gloria Steinem's shoulder yesterday at the, uh, The Women's March Rally. We gotta do that.
0: Um... Yeah, so do you want to... I, I don't know a lot about Okay, so,
1: so basically she... Okay, so she graduates, right? She comes back from India. Uh, I, I thought... Now we're just getting into, like, specifics, but whatever. So she moves to New York. She starts freelancing as a journalist. Uh, so this is a time for women. It's like a journalistic wasteland. Like, ma- magazines, newspapers, they only want to hire... Uh, female writers to do like gal Fridays and like gossip columns and like food and fashion.
0: Good Girls Revolt, guys, on Amazon. I haven't watched it, but that's what this is about.
1: Yeah, great. Yeah, I've not watched it yet either. But that would that's the that is this time period, and uh, so she's really having trouble getting any kind of serious work. Uh, so, oh wait, sorry, I just read something. the The whole CIA thing was actually like right after she got back from India.
0: Oh yeah. So yeah. Was, they were two separate things. Okay, but, cool. Yeah, I oh, know I just yeah, got yeah. confusing. Uh, yeah. But
1: yeah, yeah, it was a it was called the Independent Research Service. Uh so anyway, so she's in like Massachusetts for a little bit doing that. And then she moves to New York. It's like nineteen sixty. So yeah, this is like prime time, a like, good girls' revolt. Um so Nora
0: Efron was one of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, so she's getting, like, a modest living, getting these odd jobs here and there, um, and then, um, she finally gets, uh, an assignment from Show Magazine, where this is, like, her, you know, the thing, her big break, as it were. So she gets a job as a bunny at the Playboy Club in New York, and then writes this whole expose about, you know, how the exploitative working conditions of the bunnies and you know, how they were kind of forced to do these sexual demands that were skirting the law of sex work at the time. And it was just, it was this, it blew up. I love that. Yeah, it was huge. So she, um, and it was, I mean, you know, she was undercover, she was investigating and, uh, You know, and this piece, despite the fact that this piece was, like, really famous and obviously clearly proved her skills as an investigative journalist, she could not get work after this. Because everybody was just like, oh, you're a bunny. You're a Playboy bunny. And they didn't take her seriously. Oh, my gosh. And she was like, I'm not a Playboy bunny. Not that there's anything wrong with being one. But also, like, I clearly have... I, like, you know, I'm clearly a great journalist, but everyone still was like, no, nope, we just want you to write fluff pieces.
0: Wait a minute. Okay, do you remember how, like, like right after Mad Men became a big deal, they had that show on NBC called The Playboy Club, and it only lasted one season, and it sucked.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I just looked it up, and Gloria Steinem organized a boycott of that show because she said it was historically inaccurate and glamorized The Playboy Club. Yeah. It's fucking cool.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, but she's, I mean, despite the fact that she's not getting uh, any work, she still writes profiles for people like Truman Capote and James Baldwin, Um, meanwhile is volunteering with Cesar Chavez's United Farm Workers Movement, um, which is going on in California, and Robert F. Kennedy's presidential campaign. So, yeah, this, this is her first time really getting that hands-on political education. A hand in every
0: pot, too. Yeah. Not just one issue. Like, all of them.
1: Yeah. My aunt was really involved with the uh, Cesar Chavez United Farm Workers movement of this time.
0: Yes, Katie! Yeah. Yes! That's awesome. She's a
1: fierce, fierce lady. Um, so, yeah. And now, finally, she starts getting work again. Like, five years later. So that article came out in 1963. And it wasn't until 1968 that she finally becomes a founding editor of New York Magazine.
0: So at this point, she's 34.
1: Yeah. So she was 29 when the uh, the Playboy piece came out.
0: So I think that if we're gonna focus on her 20s, like mm-hmm. with her going to college, with her being in India, with her like having a little bit of the organizing experience that came with that um, independent research service CIA business. Yeah. She. I mean, she was a person who. Uh, Had a bunch of different experiences that fed into, like, a passion for activism. Yeah. A belief in the democratic system. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And, like, some kind... Like, a family-based, like, not just belief, but, like, creed that women are equal.
1: Yeah. And just, yeah, taking, taking everything that life threw at her, especially and including you know all the the challenges and opposition she faced as a woman and just letting that feed the fire yeah. you know not letting it push her down but like inspiring her to keep going you know everything she went through struggling growing up and watching what her mother went through having that just as part of her foundation and interest in women's rights and then you know spending all this time abroad in India, and taking everything she learned, you know, about Gandhi's principles, about civil disobedience, and grass moving, grassroot movement campaigns, and then coming back and, you know, getting to experience discrimination as a woman firsthand by freelancing and trying to get work and being rejected and rejected and told she can't write about the things she wants to be writing about. And instead of letting that get her down, she jumps in and starts being like, all right, let's focus on the ways in which women are discriminated against.
0: And, and she also like, subjects herself to that discrimination for the greater good yeah. as a Playboy bunny. Like... Right. That's... I don't know. That takes right. a lot she of fortitude. She doesn't just
1: talk about it and point to it. She, like, got in there and lived it.
0: Like, uh, the uh, to be, like, frank, the bulk of her activism and what she's known for did happen in the 70s and, like, mm-hmm. later in her life. But uh, with so many of the people going to the march yesterday being like, in their 20s. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, being in this part of your life where you know that you're going to contribute to something bigger than yourself, but you don't know how.
1: um, Right. Or just, you know, like, the fact that these early years were when she starts volunteering and get involved in different political uprisings and movements, and then, you know, it's like learning. Okay, this is how it works. This is what it feels like to be part of it. And then so later, once your mission or your focus, your goal becomes more clear this is the foundation from which you're coming from and building it all on top of. Yeah. So it's cool. Yeah. This was just the time she was like, it was just, yeah. Getting all the tools for the tool belt.
0: And I I know that this is going to sound a little, um, I guess, so she's like a second wave feminist, I guess. Second generation. First. What do you think?
1: Oh, I'm a little I'm a little behind on the terms of yet. the
0: women's movement. Any anyway, what like I guess from my understanding, like the way that feminism was kind of interpreted, especially in the 60s and 70s was that these were women that didn't shave their armpits that were grotesque and um unfeminine. Nasty. And and she's mm. she's a she's a figure of femininity, uh, feminiminims, and um style and um like this is not to say that all feminists should be this way but i think like almost in a relatable sense she was an approachable um like icon for people to look at and not say like say oh look at this woman she's educated she's you know good looking she uh has worked very hard and she has these beliefs that look at her like she's not you know not to say that other people are gross but i think that like unfortunately that's the way society works is people do care a lot about appearance and that's something that when i read like about her legacy it's like she went and got manicures and she told people that you can be a feminine you can be a feminist and still get manicures
1: right well she just she offered like a a different way in and i think that was something um that i kept hearing yesterday was this idea of like um oh what was the term that you're using i don't want to misquote it cross-sectional femis- intersectional, intersectional. Yeah. there you go thank you yes intersectional feminism and you know i think at this time i i think you know now obviously we're there's still so much to do but we're a lot further along that we're able to identify that i think she was the start of this in terms of being like oh this is a different point of view of feminism uh obviously this is the lens of like women that are coming already from a place of privilege is from being white, but you know, just to start I think what you're trying to say is like starting the conversation of like, it's not about a certain brand of person, like you can be any kind of person and still just believe that women deserve to be treated equally
0: and and I mean, women know that that's a valid cause, I Mm -hmm. guess what I'm trying to say is is that it was like optics for men as well
1: yeah, well yeah, she had a lot so she had a lot working in her favor and and she used it mm-hmm. to the advantage of, of getting her cause out there.
0: Um, so just to touch on her legacy and kind of wrap up a little bit. Um, in 2005, she began the media... The women, oh, wait, hold on. Actually, in 1993, um, she was inducted into the Women's Hall of Fame in Seneca, New York.
1: Yes. When
0: she was 59 years old. Um, and just a little bit of personal stuff. Uh, she married David Bale um, who's actually the father of everybody's favorite throaty Batman, Christian Bale. Um, she married David Bale, um, like a long time lover of hers, but for like a visa reason, um, because she kind of didn't really agree with marriage. Uh, and they were only married for three years. Um, and then he died of brain cancer, Hmm. um, in 2003. Um, but then when she was 71 years old in 2005, she began the women's media center with Jane Fonda and Robin Morgan, uh, Feminist, poet, author... Oh, Katie. Sorry. Uh, A feminist, poet, author, and political theorist. Um, And the Women's Media Center is really awesome. They're like a group of media watchdogs, um, more important now than ever, um, to make sure that equal reporting is occurring and um, petitions are being signed, uh, and basically women having equal access in media. Um, in 2013, this one's pretty cool. She was awarded the presidential medal of freedom by Barack Obama, the highest honor that a civilian can receive from the government. Um, kind of like being knighted in America or made a lady. Um, when she was 82 last year in 2016, she started the TV series woman on vice land and vice.com. Um, which she started through a connection with Shane Smith, the founder of vice and chief executive. Um, she met him at a Google camp, which is, I guess like a camp for fancy, smart people like them. Um, and they started a conversation about how violence against women, she says, violence against women predicts and normalizes violence at all levels of society. So the show focuses on different, um, excuse me, instances of violence, uh, like around the world against women, To shine a light on it. Um, And then yesterday, she spoke at the Women's March on Washington, which is now the largest public protest in the history of the human race. So, I want to end with a quote from her. Um, The truth will set you free, but first, it will piss you off.
1: Amen.
0: Hyphen, glorious Steinem.
1: And channel that.
0: And just, like, if you are ever feeling hopeless, especially after this weekend, if you are listening to this podcast episode in June of 2017 and some shit happened, just remember that right now in this moment in time, there are a lot of young people and just all people, not just young people, but there are a lot of people that came together Mm -hmm. and said, we deserve equality. We deserve equal rights. We deserve um, a clean planet. Um, Like there's just There's a resounding voice right now for justice. Um, And democratic systems work when a lot of normal people get involved. And uh, just with a 2020 flavor, um, it's important to keep a sense of humor with all of this because to quote again a fave of the show, Carrie Fisher, um, she said, if my life weren't funny, it'd just be true, and that is unacceptable. Amen. We will be back soon um, with another full episode for you guys. We want to really thank you for keeping on listening
1: and
0: saying nice things on social media and being great. Yeah,
1: and share with your friends. Uh, Another quote from Gloria Steinem yesterday. She said, God is in the details, but goddess is in the connections. Oh, hell yeah. So all my goddesses, connect us. Connect us to your friends. Can I be a goddess? Of course you're a goddess. Oh, yes. Uh oh, thank goddess for all of you. Thank goddess. So glad. Thank goddess for podcasts. And as always, feel free to follow us on social meds. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter at 2020pod, Instagram 2020podcast.
0: And yeah.
1: And we love you all.
0: And Katie's going to get to work now on photoshopping that thumb thumb pic.
1: Yeah. Stay tuned. Okay. All right. Love you. Bye. Bye.
0: Blue, black, blue.